God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, and the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among them. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Michael. One of the great passages of Scripture, John chapter 1. Well, the second Sunday of Advent, and it moves along very quickly. These Sundays go by very swiftly, and then uh, before long it's, uh, it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, and it's Christmas Day. Um, Haddon Robinson from Denver Seminary, who passed away a couple of years ago, tells a story about a married woman who decided to go on her own private vacation uh, to Europe. So she went from Midwest United States, she flew to London, and then she was planning to go to Paris, and then on to Rome, and finally she would arrive in Vienna. When she got to London, she called her husband back home in Midwest United States and said, how are you doing? Her husband said, I'm doing fine, but our cat Lucy died. So his wife starts bawling her eyes out on the phone, but when she regains her composure, she says, you insensitive brute of a man, why did I ever marry someone like you? You just have no concern for my feelings. The husband said, well, what was I supposed to have said? The wife thinks for a minute, and she says, well, when I got to London and I called you just as I did, you could have said, Lucy, our cat is on the roof. And when I got to Paris, you could have said, Lucy, our cat fell down from the roof. And when I got to Rome, you could have said, Lucy's not doing so well. And when I got to Vienna, you could have said, Lucy died. The husband said, really? That's how I should have said it. Oh, she said, never mind. Then she said, by the way, how's mother? You got it. The husband responded, she's on the roof. She's on the roof. You know, it's not easy to communicate some events, is it? Just to get it clear and straight, everybody gets it. There's an old story about a, a little boy who was feeling very lonesome for his father. His dad was away from home an awful lot. And he was once again on a business trip, 
and it was the little boy's birthday. And so the father sent a card, he sent a present, and even called him. But, you know, there was just no substitute for actually being there. Near the end of the evening, the son looked at the picture of his father that sat on the, on the mantelpiece and said tearfully to his mother, I wish dad could step out of that picture. I just wish dad could step out of that picture. A very human scene, but certainly not limited to little boys and girls uh, who miss their dads and their mom. This was the feeling of a whole nation before the first Christmas. People longed for a heavenly father to step out of the picture. They wanted a God that they could hang on to. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted a deliverer. They were looking for some proximity. They were looking for closeness. Just a sense of God being with them. And then one day it happened. As Michael read, God did step out in Bethlehem. And the scripture records it, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. The 18th verse, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who was at the Father's side, has made him known. And that picture had suddenly become alive. Before the Father stepped out of the picture, he first sent a light. The world was dark, and suddenly there was someone on the scene to light the candles of hope and peace and joy and love. We forget how important light is until we don't have it. Have you ever been in a place of darkness that extended for a very long time? Have you ever been trapped in an elevator and the lights went out and you were alone in the darkness, unsure of what to do next? Do you know what makes you feel better? If you just even have a flashlight, if you just even have a match, just having some light brings some comfort. How often do I use my little iPhone as a flashlight? That's an awesome feature because oftentimes it's dark and you, you just need a little bit of light. A remarkable event took place uh, a little more, I'd say, than 30 years ago in the Gulf of Mexico. A man by the name of Daryl Dorr was working on an oil rig when suddenly it began to wobble. Before too long, it tipped over to one side and it crashed into the water, and Daryl found himself trapped inside a room on the rig. And as the rig sank deeper and deeper into the sea, the lights went out, and the room where Daryl was trapped began filling with water. Thrashing about in the darkness, no, le no less, Daryl made a life-saving discovery of a huge air bubble that was forming in the corner of this room. And he kept his head inside that bubble of air and he prayed that someone would find him. And as he prayed, Daryl felt Christ's presence there with him. For 22 hours, 22 hours, the presence of Christ comforted Daryl. But deep down, Daryl knew that the oxygen supply within that bubble was slowly giving out. And soon he would be dead. And then Daryl saw a tiny star of light shimmering in the pitch black water. Was it real? Or after 22 hours of being there, was, was he beginning to hallucinate? He squinted his eyes. The light seemed to grow brighter. 
He squinted his eyes again. He wasn't hallucinating. The light was real. It was coming from the helmet of a diver who was coming to rescue him. And uh, long story short, his nightmare was over and Daryl was saved. When John wrote his gospel, the world was pretty dark. And he was there to put the world on alert that changes are coming, that hope is coming. He wanted to know that the world to know that a light was about to penetrate the darkness, that a Savior had come, that John the Baptist came to prepare the world for the coming of the light of Christ. By his own admission, uh, John the Baptist was not the light. Rather, he came to bear witness to the light. And just when the world most needed God's light, a babe was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, for fear of oversimplification, the Old Testament was like Daryl Dorr surviving in an air bubble. It worked for a while, but it wasn't something for long term. There were 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in that span of time, God seems strangely quiet. No light, no voice, hope was fading. Where was God? Will things ever change? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you're just about to give up? Really can't go on any longer. You can't see a way out. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 is the story of the fall of humankind. Uh, always you see the heart of, of God. He says to Adam and Eve after their sin that it's going to be hard. But hang on, I will come. And then you have the story weaved throughout all of the Old Testament of God's pursuit of a people whose hearts he desires to win. God is pursuing us. He's desiring that our hearts will turn back to him because he wants to have compassion on us. He wants to tell us how thrilled he is with us. He wants to tell us that he's always for us. He wants to tell us that he's not against us. It's crazy love, as someone put it. And what a battle throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And we know that there's, it's no different for us today. I mean, the children of Israel would follow for a while, and then they would, they would wander. They would have a heart to walk with God, and then there were all these foreign gods, and they would move off in another direction. And every one of us ha has our distractors, something in our lives that we give our hearts away to other than the heart of God. But God, through all those years, kept saying, hang on, hang on, I'll come, I'll come. And they looked for the Messiah to come. And then there were these 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as I said, God seemed strangely quiet during that long period of time. And then he comes, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Logos. And John the writer wants to be sure that we get the context of who he is, not just another man, not just another good man, but that he is always, 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 always been. 
He's always existed. So God himself comes to us. Just like he said, hang on. I'm going to come to you. And now he's here. Now he's here. And the father steps out of the picture. Yes, and we get to meet him through his son, Jesus the Christ. And we meet him as a baby. And John the Baptist has the pleasure of introducing him. Let's just pick it up in verse 6. A warm introduction. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The first thing that's obvious is that John was sent by God. John the Baptist was commissioned by God. Sometimes when we talk to a physician, I don't know about you, but we don't always get it straight what the physician is, is telling us. So often we bring the best person in our family, the person who has the most medical knowledge, to come with us so that we can interpret what the doctor is saying. I mean, our doctors do their best uh, to put their words at our level. They draw pictures, they use metaphors, but we don't always understand the complexity of, of what they're saying to us. And after this lofty introduction in the first four verses of John, we come right down to earth and our terms become simpler. And John the Baptist has a specific purpose in mind, and that is to introduce Jesus. He's going to step the truth down to us. He's going to be the translation guy when we ask the question, what does all this mean? John the Baptist is going to put the truth down at our level. He's the one we look to and say, what does it all mean for us? God sent him. He was a powerful man. He was a communicator about Jesus. His mission was to tell. He was a witness. And he put the truth down at our level. And friends, maybe we just step aside here for a moment and say, that's our job too. We have neighbors and we have friends and we have family who need a translator. We, we need to get lofty truth down to them so they can say, I get it. I get it. Why didn't I know this before? Why didn't somebody tell me this? They might not tune into John 1.1. 1, 1, that's a pretty heavy verse. They might miss it. They might not value it. They might not get it. So we need a translation. And we need a translator. Someone who gets it so people will believe. Someone who puts the goods on the table so they can pull up a chair and sample the goods and say, oh, is this ever good? I never tasted it before. I never really understood what this is all about. So here it again. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And he managed to break through all the complexities and come right to the point that this is the one who is the light of the world. Have you been thinking about how you can put truth on a level that people can say, hey, I get that, I get that. Sometimes people don't get it until you find a way to serve them. They just don't get it until you come close to them and you serve them and you bless them and you encourage them and you support them in, in the time of their need and darkness. And then they're open to truth on their level. 
Sometimes people don't get it and you need to be ready with a word that explains how you cope with life. Not to raise yourself up, but just to say how you make life work for you. And what gives you the energy to go uh, with the passion in your heart that you have. Sometimes you just need to be able to say, this is what the gospel means to me. I'm on the journey too, but, uh, and I've not arrived, but uh, I found a meaning in my life and it's wonderful. Think about what you could share, how you could share it. Think about the choice of language that resonates with the people in your life. Language is important. The writer, the Apostle John, is careful to point out that John himself was not light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. He was a witness. And what a committed witness he was. So much so that his head ended up on the platter at King Herod's party. You know the story. And what a dark world today. Across the globe these days. We have a world that is kind of got off the skids. And we're being seriously reminded of how important it is and the call of God upon our lives to be witnesses, to be witnesses in our world. Uh, in our Hearing God seminar, we tell the story of uh, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may know that uh, for uh, uh, a short amount of time, he actually lived in New York City. Uh, just as the war was beginning to break out and he saw what was happening in Germany and he got out of Germany and he, he, he kind of got away to New York City because he didn't want to, he didn't want to deal with all of this. And so in, in, uh, he was in New York, New York City in 1939 when the war was just breaking out. But on June 24, 1939 in New York City, God spoke to him through Isaiah 28:16, And the verse says, the one who believes doesn't flee. And Bonhoeffer felt that God had given him that word through the scripture. Then on June 26, 1939, God spoke to him again from uh, 2 Timothy 4.21. The, the verse you remember, do your best to come here before winter. And as Bonhoeffer read those two different passages, God's spirit personalized the written word in his spirit so that it arrested Bonhoeffer's attention and he knew that God was speaking these very words to him for his own situation. And with that he left the safety of New York City for Germany knowing full well that death might be waiting him. And it was true. In Germany, during those dark days of Hitler, Christians went through some very hard times. Some evangelical churches capitulated and some didn't. Some churches made a costly declaration that Jesus was Lord even over their Fuhrer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed, but not before he had written The Cost of Discipleship, this wonderful book in which he makes it so clear that there's always a costly grace in being a witness. What a blessing he was in the darkest hour. He brought light. He brought encouragement. He was a lot like John the Baptist, who was a faithful witness, and it was very costly for him too. And John the Baptist always knew his place. He was not the light. He was humble enough to say it, that someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. 
The credentials for heaven-sent ministry are humility and understanding of your place in being his witness, his servant. And nothing cancels ministry faster than a spirit of pride. Super churches, mega churches, well-known personalities who receive so much attention really have to keep grounded so they can keep and so they can distinguish between pointing to the light and thinking they are the light. It can happen to any of us that we lose perspective and we forget our call to simply be humble servants who walk faithfully with him. John Piper, the Baptist pastor who is so well known out of Minneapolis, said he stepped down from active ministry a few years back because he was feeling the presence of pride and responding in ways that he knew was not how God wanted him to think or feel. He just wanted to stop and put those things back in order. And you really have to admire that. Shortly before Willis, uh, Dallas Willard died from cancer in 2013, Pastor John Ortberg asked him, do you regret anything? And Willard answered, he said, I regret the time I've wasted. I regret the time I've wasted. <laughs> A stunned Ortberg wrote, if there's anyone on planet Earth who has not wasted time, it's Dallard, Dallas Willard. I mean, I don't think he'd know a television if it hit him on the head. He's either reading or writing or teaching or doing ministry or doing bits of carpentry around his home or mentoring students or praying. I mean, if he's guilty of, west, of, of wasting time, the rest of us, well, where does that leave us? But then he went on to explain what he thinks Willard meant by that one regret. Redeem the time, the Apostle Paul wrote, because the days are evil. He said, I think Dallas regretted all the time he wasted, not because he compared himself with someone else who might be more efficient, but he began to see what life could be. He said, I, I remember him saying that all of us lost souls allow ourselves to live in worry and anger and bitterness and self-importance and pettiness when life with God is all around us. John the Baptist really knew who he was. Secondly, a mixed reception. He came to the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. And even though they rejected, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Rejected. He was rejected, Jesus. In his fine book, What Good is God? Philip Yancey writes about being invited to speak at a conference on ministry to women in prostitution. After some discussion with his wife, he agreed to accept the invitation as long as he could have the opportunity to question the women and hear their stories. So when the conference was over, at the, at the very end, Yancey had the following conversation with the women. He said, I had, I had time for one more question. And I, I said to them, did you know that Jesus referred to your profession? 
Let me tell you what he said. I tell you the truth, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And he was speaking to the religious authorities of the day. So he said to the women, what do you think Jesus meant? Why did he single out prostitutes? The room went quiet. After several minutes of silence, a young woman from Eastern Europe spoke up in her broken English. Everyone, she has someone to look down on. Not us. We are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother nowhere looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be good prostitute. Most places, we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names. We feel it too. We are at the bottom. And sometimes when you are at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. I'm sure he did mean that. I'm sure he did mean that. Rejection. Very prevalent in our, in our day. It's felt in the workplace. Mark was telling me last night. Number one cause for people in nursing homes and care facilities, the cause of their physical ailments stems from loneliness. Starts with loneliness. Read an article this week on loneliness in the workplace because of exclusion, not being valued in the workplace. It's felt in families. It's felt in schools. And some have felt such devastating rejection that they felt they couldn't go on. Called bullying. This intense rejection. And it happened to Jesus too. Can you imagine how the Logos felt? The word, (coughs) Jesus, the Son of God, when he came into the very world that he created. I know this place. I know the terrain. I made every hill here. I spoke it into being. I have family in this world. I will call on them. Surely they will remember me. Surely they will know who is calling. (laughs) The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. Who should have been waiting for him? Who should have been ready to welcome him? Well, Judaism, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people of old, who had been the focus of God's revelation all through the Old Testament, they should have been, should they not? Should have said, we want to know you. We've been expecting you. We've been talking about this. We were wondering if you would ever come. Why? Why was the word, the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, unrecognizable to to them? Well, he wasn't what they expected. They anticipated that he would pound on Rome, return the flag to Israel, Let it fly high and proud one more time. But there was no stallion. There was no sword. He didn't come like that. He came preaching grace and mercy. So they didn't recognize him. And whoever he claimed to be, they rejected him. But not all. To all who received him, 
and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This is one of the strange paradoxes of the scripture. And I believe I see it working out in contemporary life. Sometimes God seems to let everything look like it's totally lost. The whole thing seems to be a failure. And rejection abounds. No visible progress. We're stuck. It may happen in your life. Maybe it is happening now. Be ready for it. When it looks like everything you would hope for and long for has already failed, then God begins to work. And that's what he did here. When the Messiah was rejected and the Creator was unrecognized, nevertheless, in the midst, God began to produce a whole new creation. And a whole new humanity began to come into being. We become children of God through a rebirth. Verse 13, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And just like in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, John is telling us there needs to be another birth. How do you become one of the children of God? Well, the answer is by being reborn. How are you reborn? It is not physical. It is a spiritual birth. It is something that Almighty God does in us. It is not a mass production. It is not where the whole city of the whole country comes to rebirth at the same time. It is not suddenly the rebirth of seven billion people on the planet. No, it's one birth at a time. The same as it is for the physical birth of every baby. They come into the world one at a time. And that's the way the new creation is. You never enter as a crowd. You come in one at a time. And the new birth begins when you commit your heart and your life by faith to Jesus Christ. And you say, I get it. I'm going to give myself to you. And when you take that step and you start the progress of, a process of growing, you begin to be a more, little more like Christ. And you discover it's a long journey. It's a long journey. But it starts with commitment. And it starts step by step. And then you see the growth. And you start to read his word and you start to pray. And you start to get yourself around Christians who are growing. And then before you know it, you're growing. And you're developing. And that's what John is saying, that they are reborn, not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. Isn't it amazing that we can all be the children of God? And that it's God's heart that we all be his children. So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, full of grace and truth. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Do you know him? Have you been one of those that has had a spiritual rebirth? What a joy to take him seriously. 
There's a slide that's going to come up on the screen. And uh, it's a prayer of commitment. There it is. I'd like us to read it together. For some, you can read it as an affirmation from years back. And just affirm it again today in your heart. For, for some, it's a, it's a confirmation of steps that you have perhaps taken rather recently. And for some, it might be the prayer of a new beginning. Lord, I just start today. I'm going to invite you to just remain seated, but to read it out loud with me. Can we do that together? Lord, I want to be your child. I want to be reborn with a birth that comes from God. So, Lord Jesus, be born in my life today. I welcome you in. Forgive my disobedience, my sin, and take the driver's seat in my life. I hand over the controls even now. This may be the prayer for you today to begin a journey with Jesus Christ. Reborn, not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. God wants to live in your life. And if you make this prayer the sincere prayer of your heart, then Jesus comes to your life and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. He will give you the Father's life. So this morning, as you, as you just look at that prayer again, allow it to be the prayer of your life, wherever you're at in your journey, whether an affirmation, a confirmation, or an, a new beginning, just say, Lord Jesus, be my life. And if at the end of the service, uh, you have uh, prayed a prayer like this for the first time, then there are people that will come be at the front and please come and share with them uh, the prayer that you have prayed perhaps for the very first time or affirmed that God has put you back on the road again to walking faithfully with him. Let's stand together.